Uh, as I always say, uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to episode 20 of The Glory in Our Stories. Uh, today I have uh, one of the uh, coolest young men that I ever met in my life. Um, I'll just go off based off what I know him from. Uh, the first encounter that I had with him, it was at a spoken word. It was an open mic that I actually had at Augusta University. Um, the piece that I actually read, uh, I forgot which what it was, but it, that usually happens. Um, I remember reading it off of a note card, and I remember reciting it in front of the judges, and they were asking me to, re to memorize it. And I looked at them like, nah, that ain't gonna happen. So I recited it off the card, and after, no, the person before me was my guest. Um, back then, his hair wasn't as long as it is now, <laughs> but uh, I remember the passion and uh, the presence that he had on stage. And I remember that his name was Anthony Carter, so when he sat down, I said, man, I'm gonna name you AC because you're cold. <laughs> so, man, um, yeah. Uh, fast forward back to now, 2018. I see this man on my social media feed more than I see like Kevin Hart or anybody else because he's constantly on his grind. And recently I heard a, pr a pastor saying that uh, one thing he got tired of people saying is hashtag on my grind, but what he represents is on my grind through grace. Mm -hmm. And before I say anything else, I do want to recite this scripture, which I know he's familiar with. But it's the scripture that comes to mind when I think of uh, my guest, Anthony Sleepy Eyes Carter. Um, that verse comes from Joshua 24, verse 15. Uh, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Um, you posted that a while back as mm -hmm. for... That's for me and my household. Right, right. And when I came by to record mm -hmm. for uh, Spoken Word Noir, which mm -hmm. is uh, something I'm pretty sure he's going to touch base on, um, when I stepped into his house, I didn't step into your house. I stepped into a home. Right, right. And I, that's the first time I've ever experienced that. Mm. And to, to experience that from a fellow black male, that meant, that meant the world to me. Just, just those... Uh, 30 or 40 minutes that we right. we used to to capture that footage right. but the 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 atmosphere was very very uplifting right and um i appreciate it man man so it was way before that when i decided i needed i needed to interview because i wanted to know your story i can only hear about what you've been through through your pieces right, right. um what you stand for through your activism um your positive, the positivity that you post online, mm -hmm. uh, which we get into later, like the, the concept, the evolution of social media and what it's done mm -hmm. and what people have to do now oh, uh, yeah. based off experiences and whatnot. Um, but uh, we'll go ahead and um, kick it off. Um, you just tell us uh, where, you, where you're from and a little bit about your, um, your childhood. Oh, my childhood? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, like you said, my name is um, Anthony Sleepy Eyes Carter. Um, of course, that wasn't always my name, the sleepy ass part. Yeah. That came later on, later on down the line. But um, my real name is Anthony, Anthony Carter. I was um, born military brat. So I was born in New Ulm, Germany as a military brat. Wow. Yeah, I was born in New Ulm, Germany. My brother 
was also born in Germany, my little brother. I got mm -hmm. um, three other siblings. I got an older brother, an older sister, then it's me, then I have a younger brother. Mm -hmm. um, me and my younger brother were both born in Germany. I don't remember exactly where he was born. And what's interesting is me and my wife was also, my wife was also born in Germany. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of crazy. Um, but military brat, moved to Augusta when I was five years old. Um, mm -hmm. But when I was born, what people don't know is um, I've been um, kind of like always fighting against the odds for, for, for a little bit. And me and my, my oldest son, my eldest, we kind of got the same story. We were both had struggles in our birth. Yeah. So I was born with um, what was called transposition of the great vessels. Um, what it means is, is my heart doesn't pump, wasn't pumping enough blood through my body from what I could understand. I didn't try to find all the um, intricate understandings behind it. I know that I'm here, yeah. um, so I can't complain. But um, born with transposition of the great vessels, they had just, I was born in 1981, mm -hmm. they had just really got the whole logist of my condition. Um, yeah. Um, and how to deal with it from a surgical standpoint. So they had to restruct my valves, my heart. So my heart looks nothing like yours. So whenever I would go to the doctor, as a grown man, when I would go to the doctors and they put the little EKG thing on you or whatever they call it, the echo thing, echoes, um, and looking at my, 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 my heart, they would be like, wow, man, we need to go... Uh, uh, can I go get such and such and such to come look at you? So I felt like like a test, but it didn't bother me too funny. It just was weird. Yeah. Um, it was weird, but it didn't bother me. That's weird. But anyways, um, but the reality is, uh, I, I dealt with that when I was born and when I finally got to the point, um, to where I could be a little bit more mobile and stuff like that. The first thing, um, I ended up diving into was like, this love for my mama says chicken and dumplings and I'm gonna go around chicken and dumplings, chicken and dumplings, chicken and dumplings. <laughs> and my grandma gave me my nickname that everybody that in, um, knows me by for the most part. Um, so you look at life kind of all over the place, but you look at life as in this sense of how people meet you. So what mm -hmm. you call me by lets me know where you are in, our, in my journey. Yeah. Um, as far as I can place you at a time period or I can place you in a category in my life. Mm -hmm. um, so individuals who call me this, there is a history, like we go back like baby powder, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so there's individuals, um, my grandma ended up calling me Pac-Man, mm -hmm. you know, um, like the video game. Yeah. Um, and it just stuck. I grew up with that name. Everybody called me that. Nobody really called me by my real name. Um, mm -hmm. Nobody ever called me Anthony. Yeah. Um, even when I went to um, church, nobody called me Anthony. I was always called Pac-Man. Um, my teachers would call me Anthony from a professional standpoint of where they were. Um, but for the most part, friends, um, loved ones, dear ones, homeboys, comrades um, um, would call me Pac-Man. So I, I grew up with that name. That name just became something that just carried on until, of course, my stage name, quote-unquote Sleepy Eyes, which is later on down the line. But anyways, as far as my childhood, two-parent home, but the parent home wasn't always together. It wasn't a cohesive parent home. At some point in time, that home deteriorated. I spent... 12 years growing up in a home that was extremely painful. Um, a lot of wars, a lot of fighting. Um, I witnessed my mom and dad go through a divorce before the divorce. My dad would not sleep in the same bed with my mom. Um, he would actually make a pallet on the floor wow. um, in the living room. So he wouldn't sleep on the couch, but he'd make a little pallet on the floor in the living room. Um, if there's anything that speaks to the duality of men, um, or, or a man that you can get from your mom and dad. I'm the extreme of both. Um, my father was an alcoholic. 
I inherited that. Um, some people are like, well, you don't inherit that kind of stuff. Then, no, I'm going to call it what it is. Yeah. He has a vice spirit. I have a vice spirit. Um, I, um, so I don't drink or anything because I know what it'll do to me. Yeah. Um, my mom, church, all day, every day. That's what we did. There was no <laughs> such thing as anything else. But, I mean, my mom wasn't no saint. Um, mm. we, we don't ever claim ourselves to be that in the sense of, we've arrived type thing. You know, the yeah. scriptures does tell us that we are saints, but the way that we use that term, we use it in the sense of talking about perfection. Um, but I grew up in a home where wars, fighting my, between me and my siblings, we would like fight. We're not talking about like argument fighting. Like my kids, my three kids, um, they would fight. They fight like, hey, get on my nerves. No, we would like really like, I'm trying to kill you fight. Wow. Like I'm, 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 I'm trying to push your whole wig back, fighting. Like we, <laughs> we, 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 we were some violent little jokers, man. But we grew up in a home where argument was the norm. Mm -hmm. um, it was regular. It, it was. It is what it was. We we existed in that, and I think church, for the most part, was the escape. Mm -hmm. It was the getaway. I grew up singing in the church choir. Um, so, uh, Mama, you know, I grew up with a church mom, typical church mom. You gonna serve the Lord yeah. type church mom, and we didn't have a choice. We had a choice on what we was gonna serve, but we didn't have a choice whether or not we were gonna serve. And mm -hmm. the choice to serve was either we was gonna be on the usher board or we was going to sing in the church choir. Yeah, I didn't want to stand up there um, looking at people all day long throughout the whole service. So of course, <laughs> we chose the church choir. So we all grew up singing in the church choir. Um, all of us. My brother directed. My older brother directed the choir. We was able to lead singing and stuff like that. You know, do, you know what they call the solos or whatever thing. Like we did all that. Um, but you know, you find out that if the home ain't right, it doesn't matter how much you try to use the church as an escape route, as a getaway, mm -hmm. as this place to hide. Um, if you don't confront the deterioration of the home, yeah. you can't be at church twenty four seven three sixty five. Although my mama tried. Um, she tried to be there and she tried to keep us there 24-7 you, you, you find yourself still having to go home to deterioration it's almost like you it's almost like um, youth programs yeah. um, that child spends what 3-4 hours at a youth program after school that is trying to mold and shape him but he has to go home to more hours of a dysfunctional home um, so I'm, I'm, I'm more of an advocate for save the family than I am for just particularly saving this one group of individuals. Um, I know this is off the cuff. We have a lot of save the youth programs, but you rarely see anything that's talking about save the family. Yeah. But, you know, we talk about family being the cornerstone of any community, but we uh, let the father and the mother die away while trying to save a child that has to go home watching their mother and father die away that is really strongly influenced and affecting them in a, in a, in a messed up way. Um, but... Grew up in that kind of environment, just just chaos, all the time. Um, I um, took to the streets, um, got involved in the in the, in the streets. Um, really got heavy into it with one of my um, sister's boyfriends. Um, I got to meet. I mean, I was already there. A couple of my homeboys from out there on Farrington. Um, a couple of homeboys, uh, a little bit of homeboys on Meadowbrook. Not not a lot, but it's mainly was my partners in Farrington and stuff like that. Um, around the area I grew up with, Salem Mom's apartment and all that other stuff on Winter Spring Road. I kicked it always, kicked it there. I rarely was home. Didn't want to be home, you know. Um, but I took to the streets and eventually got invested, involved in some of the gang, you know, the gang culture in the city of Augusta. As we know, it's more, of, it's it's a lot more dynamic now. It's mm -hmm. a lot more. Um, what you look at in the '90s. Um, it was still like, really? You, 
You're cripping? Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, whatever, right? So your your beef wasn't necessarily with the other side of town on colors. It was really more so um, those who affiliated, was involved and invested in being um, gang members to those who frowned upon it in the Augusta area because they looked at it as that's strictly a Cali thing. That's not a Augusta thing. Well, you ignore something for so long, you know, Little Rock repeats itself. You know, yeah. um, you know, I'm pretty sure in Little Rock they sat back and said the same thing. Man, that's, a, that's some Cali stuff, and we're going to continue to act like that in Augusta to the point where it's going to fester to look like Little Rock, and somebody's going to come through and do a documentary because it's too late. Mm-hmm. Not because it's time to save it. No, it's just too late. Little Rock's documentary came because it was too late. That doesn't mean that souls can't be saved. Yeah. It's just normally when you get a documentary crew wanting to come in to record your life of violence, you've reached that level. It's, it's, it's an infestation. It's no longer just a fad. Now it's really, it's there to stay. It's, yeah. a, it's a concrete thing. Um, so I got invested and involved in the streets um, and stuff like that and, and walked away from the church. Um, ended up having problems at home to where I actually got my mama kicked out <laughs> of her apartment. Um, got caught smoking weed on the apartment complex. And of course, you know, that was one of the policies you can't she got kicked out. A little shorty. I remember stealing my mama's car and wrecking it. Like, totally. Wow. Man, I, I mean, I've done some wild stuff. Um, anything from just just wild stuff, man. I, I don't want to get too deep into all that. It was just some wild stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, at the end of the road, I um, found myself sleeping on the streets, like, legitimately out there. Like, um, my first night was my, all my stuff in a black trash bag, mm-hmm. sleeping on a wet bench because um, it was raining. Yeah. But pride wouldn't let me go home and say sorry. Wow. You know, pride wouldn't let me, um, my dedication to the life I chose, um, wanted to prove to be the tougher, thinking that's what a man does. He doesn't buckle or fold um, under any circumstances. You hold your chest up, you stick your chin up, mm-hmm. and you don't fold. I don't Even if it's your mom, bro, you don't fold, cuz, you yeah. know. But then... um going from homeboy spot to homeboy spot, um, darn near being locked up, darn near being killed, um, you know, being involved in different little things just to put money in my pocket, but um, outside of working, so I kept the job. That's weird, right? You know, so you'd think, um, so goes the home, so goes the job, but I mean, that was just something that was embedded in us from being when we was little legit, little shorties, yeah. gonna hold a job down. So I always held a job. I mean, I remember working at Pizza Hut. Um, so many things that was a fact of life-saving concepts. Pizza Hut was one of them. Um, when I didn't have anything to do, I would sit outside for hours waiting to clock in. Cause all my homeboys was either um, gone off doing whatever they was doing, um, trying to better their lives, you know. So I just went to Pizza Hut and just sat out there. Pizza Hut off of Rosier Road, man. We'll go down there and just sit down, man, waiting to clock in sometimes because I had nothing else to do, nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, pride's not letting me go home. Um, mm-hmm. So, but then Brina comes along, my wife, and that just changes the story. <laughs> so I'm gonna leave it at that, but that just changes the story. Let me, uh, I'm gonna skip to my, I'm gonna skip for a second because uh-huh. you, you took some, during this time, during your, your youth, mm-hmm. at what point did you get exposed to hip hop? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was exposed to hip hop very young. I grew up in a home where music was everything, bruh. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, um, regardless of the crazy stuff that was going on, music was like, I mentioned earlier, church was the getaway, yeah. right? But I had to get away from my mom's. Mm-hmm. Music 
that was that was that was my escape route. Um, I got into hip hop elementary school, man. I mean, I remember Beat Street, bro. <laughs> you know, I remember Beat Street. I remember on um, Beat Street came out in the early early eighties, man. Um, and I was born in eighty one, but as I grew up as a shorty, I remember. Um, my mama telling me I used to watch it and mimic it and be spinning and breakdancing. She said I was pretty dope. I'll never know. But um, <laughs> but I got into hip-hop. Beat Street was my real introduction to hip-hop, all the elements. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? The DJ and the breaking, graffiti, and the mm-hmm. MCing. Um, so that's where I really got um, hip to it. Um, it really focused in on it. It's like, oh, snap, this is, this, this is dope, man. I like yeah. this right here. You know what I'm saying? Um, one of the things that I remember from Beach Street that was really, really fresh to me was, um, and this part always sticks out to me, is when they was, um, at the beginning, they was going to that one little spot um, to have the little party, and, spe- and Special K little brother was like, um, yo, can I go with you? And he was like, nah, because if you go, then I'm responsible for you. I don't want to bring you back in time. I might be a female, right? But they finally got all the things working. He was like, it's working. It's working. Party people, if you're ready to rock, and let me hear you scream. Then if you really, really can't, like all that right there was dope. Yeah, I remember all that, cuz. And it's been a minute since I watched that jank, man. Yeah. All that part where it was like live from the Bronx come to 6 o'clock news, picture two little homeboys singing the blues. Mm-hmm. One talking paint, the other one money, and they so full of crap that it ain't even funny. <laughs> Take it to the bridge, ball tie. You know what I'm saying? It, it, was, it, was, it was watching those things unfold um, in front of my eyes as a young kid. Um, mm-hmm. Even when they was doing the, um, the part on there where, uh, Dougie Fresh was bebopping with the Christmas hat on, and these other guys was there. I can't remember the name of the group, um, but they was doing the Christmas thing, and they was doing like a Christmas rap. Mm-hmm. That jank was dope, right? So, <laughs> as a kid, hip hop. That was my first introduction to hip hop. Some people would mention albums, records. Mm-hmm. Um, this group that I know, it was Beat Street. It was a movie that really captured my attention, man. It, it, because we listen to so much music in my Frankie Beverly and Mays. We yeah. listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire. Anything. I mean, we just listen to a lot of different. Miles. My dad was a big jazz head. Miles Davis, Quincy Jones. Um, we just listen to so many different music. Diana Ross. Um, they had. He had the the record to the Wiz. Wow. You know what I'm saying? The Wiz, right? Yeah. And I got that. I got a record. I got that record too. I went ahead and I saw it at on one of the one of the shops here in the city. Mm-hmm. I had to pick it up. I, it was it was it was over. It was over. I had to get it. Yeah. Um, but most people mention movies. I mean, not movies, but mention um, records. Um, they mentioned a video, music videos. It was a movie for me, bro. And because to me, that's what hip hop should be. It should be when I listen to you, I should see a movie. When I hear the beat, it should be a movie playing in my head. It, it, it shouldn't just be bodies bouncing up and down only. There should be a story behind it yeah. um, when it comes to the culture of hip-hop because I think hip-hop has a a responsibility to tell what other art forms won't. Mm-hmm. That's what made hip-hop so powerful. It was willing to say the very things that other art forms were confined to not do or condemned to do. Hip-hop was the rebellious child. Um, it's still rebellious, indeed, and we see that even today's culture of hip-hop, I, whether you want to call it hip-hop, is for those who want to debate that mess. Yeah. Um, but even in today's culture of music, it's still rebellious. But it's not rebelling against the machine. It's rebelling against its own soul, its own self. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's more of a self-rebellious, and it's destructive to the, to the, to, to the individual when you self-destruct. Yeah. So hip-hop, 
needs to go back to being that voice that was willing to be the rebellious to say what needed to be said in a time where everybody else was silent, mm-hmm. willing to paint the picture of a place that you probably won't ever go to. You know, white America felt safe listening to it. But not when they heard, like, KRS-One, yeah. a public enemy. Right, right. But it was a shock, not because... It was a shock, not because of the ideal was out there. It's mm-hmm. the fact that somebody was willing to say it. Yeah. But again, guarantee you, if you look at the record sales, white America is the number one buyer of hip-hop. Always has been. Yeah. Always has been, man. Because it paints a picture and takes them to, you know, you, 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 you know Reading Rainbow... You know what I'm saying? I can go anywhere, take a look, it's in a book, reading Rainbow. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the same thing with hip-hop. Take a look, it's in a bar. You can go very far, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, yeah, but, that's, but you can go to places you've never been to. And that was the beauty of hip-hop. It painted a picture. It was like, um, what's my man's name? Um, I haven't heard too many cats from the old days like him, Curtis Mayfield. Uh, Curtis Mayfield would say some stuff that you'd be like, man, he's painting the picture. Um, it was a, it was a real, it was the resurrection of even um, Marvin Gaye with his "What's Going On," mm-hmm. um, where he was painting the picture of where you lived. And there's other artists, but hip hop took it to the level to where you smelt the pee. Yeah, you 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 smelt the 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 the, the smoke from the gunfire. Um, you saw the poverty, the hurt, the pain. You saw the joyous occasions amongst that hurt and that pain. Um, And it's where the question is, how do we find that voice again where we rebelled against the machine, not just to rebel, Mm -hmm. but to let people know that this exists and this is real. This is a reality. But as far as my first introduction to hip hop, um, (laughs) Beat Street Lit. It's funny you said that because back in my mom's house, we couldn't listen to any music that had profanity. All so right. as a young child, I just automatically thought that all hip-hop music had, had most profanity. So yeah. I thought that I would just try to be clean. Let me pick one rapper, and I know you're going to laugh. Let me pick one rapper that um, that I can listen to. So I picked Mace. Okay. All and uh, it's, right. it's funny because he was sort of... He was between, like, Will Smith was way over here, <laughs> and then you had, like, N.W.A. Right. at this end, but right in the middle. Was, was like He was a safe spot okay. for me. So I started listening to him, and then he released uh, Double Platinum. Mm-hmm. That was the name of my album. One of the worst albums I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so I was like, man, I got to get on to something mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until I got to high school when I graduated. Right. I started hearing about, and I know people get on to me because I mention them all the time, mm-hmm. but... He was my introduction into what um, genuine hip hop was common, and when I heard B, for the that that's that jank. Yes, yeah, yeah, when yeah. I heard that, I was like, oh my goodness! Mm-hmm. From track one to track eleven, I think, and even on that last track, which he did for a while, he right. always included his father. His mm-hmm. father would spit some of that last mm-hmm. last verse, and of course, if you familiar with his mm-hmm. story and his dad, to him to come to that point in his life where he would do that right. with his father right. I'm like yo that's that's what's up mm-hmm. and from then on I've been exposed to so many other people there's right. still so many people I, I still haven't heard of and even um, straight out of Compton mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that that opened my eyes a lot more because if you think of N.W.A. Right, right. you're like man this is gangsters I said like, no right. no no and I started watching documentaries yeah, Easy E man yeah. he was they was doing an uh, interview with him and he was like why do you do this I say what what do you 
What are you talking about? Like this, this is how we live. This is what we see when mm-hmm. we step outside our door. Right. We're rapping not to glorify it, but to acknowledge it because right. obviously nobody's paying attention. Well, and you know what? You hear you, this is the interesting thing, right? So you hear a lot of rappers say that you know we're mm-hmm. not glorifying it. Mm-hmm. We're just speaking so other people can know. But the reality is, you speak what you live. Yeah. I mean, that's that's you speak what's in your existence. Um, the poets of old write about the wars of old. Why? Because those wars were fought. It doesn't matter whether they was out there in the battlefield or not. Mm-hmm. The poets of old, they wrote about the wars of old because that's what actually occurred. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so whether it was written to glorify it or whether it was written for a warning, it was written. Mm-hmm. It was written. Um, and that's that's where we get... I don't know why we get so up in arms sometimes. Now, I understand um, it can when corporate America came into it, it 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 it, it raped it, it pillaged it, yeah. plund- it plundered it. I mean, but that's that's capitalism at its best. And mind you, we all operate in capitalism in some shape, form, or fashion. So yeah. everybody who's anti-capitalism, please do not sell a CD. But um, <laughs> just being real. Yeah. Um, I can hear him now. That doesn't mean don't sell a CD. Anyways, um, give it all for free, homie. But um, but the reality is we gave up control. We gave up the rights. We gave up the focus. We gave up a vision. We gave up a movement. We gave up direction. Um, and hip hop has always been the voice of the youth. Yeah. It's 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 for, for since the, since um, Cool Hurts and all them. It's been the voice of a young generation that was abandoned. Um, and when we look at the language behind it, when we look at um, the content within it, I get it. It can make us go, oh, because oh, there's some stuff I I gotta cut off, bro. Yeah. There's some stuff I can't listen to. There's some stuff I I just no, I just I just I just can't do it. But there's some songs where it's like, man, what he's saying, I understand that. Mm-hmm. What he's saying, I know that's real. I know that it actually exists, you know. And then you got some songs that are just purely, strictly, and solely entertainment. And there's still nothing wrong with that entertainment aspect being a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when we, again, lose purpose. We lose focus. Getting back to focus is where it needs to be at. So what do you think, uh, where, what do you think about hip-hop as in the stage currently? Um... Hip-hop in the state currently, you know, people look at, um, <laughs> here, listen, when we ask that question, it's normally a hidden, hidden, hidden tone of this new generation of rap. Yeah. Let's, let's go ahead and be blunt. Mm-hmm. Who am I to tell this new generation of rap not to be creative in the way that they want to be creative? Yeah. Who am I to tell this next generation and the next generation after that how they should sketch their names in the history? I can guide them. Mm-hmm. I can help as best as I can. But I can't sit back and tell this young person right here that's writing from his viewpoint where he's at that you should not do that. And if you don't do that, now that's funny I said that, right? Because the reality is I should guide, I should help. But at the end of the day, that's what they're going to express. Let's think about hip hop. See, we forget this. 
when we think about, well, what do you think about this? Well, I can't stand it. I hate it. These mumble rappers and all this other stuff and everything else. And I don't want to understand what they're saying. All they want to do is sip a lean and sip a lean and sip a lean, blah, blah, blah. And, I, you, and then I get a headache listening to that mess, man, when jokers be complaining about that, right? Because they act like everything that came out in the 90s was on some social conscious stuff. It was not. No, it DPG was not trying to save the community with their bars. Now, they might come back and hear, if they was to hear this and say, I, I think he got it all wrong. No, DPG was being dog pound gangster crips. That's what they knew. That's what their life and that's what they was. You got to think about it. You got dog pound that came out and um, Nas, it was written that came out. Right? Those are two albums I listen to heavily. And they're from two totally different sides of the spectrum. East Coast, West Coast. Oh, ain't that a beautiful picture? You got Cali life and you got New York life. Here it is. You have Nas who talks about the streets, but he's talking about it from a level where there is a really serious undertone message there and there is something that is supposed to be taken from that that you can take back and we can have a conversation and dissect that thing down to have an educational understanding on how we should conduct ourselves as young men in these streets mm -hmm. right on yeah. a respectable level there's warning signs in his bars and everything like that that he got like that song um i gave you power when he was talking about being a gun Oh my goodness, the way he broke down them bars, cuz. But then let's travel over to the West Coast, right? Dog Pound Gangsters, right? I listen to them. Corrupts my dude on the mic, man. That dude is a beast. Daz is dope on the, um, on the, um, on the beast. And people sleeping on Daz with his bars. But anyway, um, but you look at that. They was talking about pimping women. They was talking about just running, running down on women, calling them this and calling them that. They was also talking about, I mean, strictly on some gangster stuff. Yeah. Dad Dylan just revenge, 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 retaliation and get back, man. He has a whole song that depicts about getting payback to the opposite side of town for what they did to his homeboys. Corrupt. He is quick to let you know he's a rolling 60 crib. You know what I'm saying? But the reality is, those are too far in between. We got to stop acting like Luke was really trying to make black women feel like queens. Oh, yeah. We have to stop. We have to stop acting like Sir Mix-a-Lot didn't exist. We have to stop acting like Death Row did not sign Vanilla Ice. We have to stop acting like everything Tupac dropped was on some Save the Black Man stuff. Yeah. We have to stop acting like the 90s was the social conscious awareness of hip hop. Now, we also have that stop acting like everything that came out of the 90s was just really dope music. No, there was some garbage back then too. Yeah, it was. Now somebody would say, well, you got more garbage today than you did back then. Well, you know what your grandma and your mama would say about your hip hop music? They had music and your music ain't. Yeah. We reoccur a cycle of hatred towards each other's creativity. And what it does is it breaks the bridge, tears it down, burns it, and nobody's able to cross to help God to help each other out. So yeah. we are leaving. So here it is. The birth of hip hop came because inside New York, the programs that were supposed to be there to help the kids was taken away. So they had to create their own way to express themselves. Yeah. So they took your, they took their mama and daddy's records and tore them up trying to scratch and mix some stuff. All right, yeah. trying to create something new. But when you abandon a generation on when it comes to the creativity, you leave a generation to have to figure it out. When you abuse a generation for how they created it, they rebel even more towards you. And they don't want to be a part of what you got to say that's going to be positive because you've already built a middle wall that won't allow them to cross over, won't allow you to cross over. And then now you're all of a sudden sitting there talking about something, man, we done lost the war, we done lost the cause. Well, that's your stupid old behind for acting like an old doggone brat. Yeah. 
let them children have their way of expressing it. Educate the mind. You're old enough to do that now. You're in your 30s and you're in your 40s and stuff like that. At some point in time, when do you stop trying to be the next hip-hop sensation? Be content where you're at mm -hmm. in your art and start educating young people on how to be better in their mind and not necessarily how they do their creativity and their art. That's the problem. It's almost like church people, man. We want people to change their clothes, but we ain't did nothing for their mind and their soul. Yeah. If you change the mind and you change the soul, the clothing changes over time. If I change the mind, if I grab the mind, help the mind, shape and cultivate the mind, then what is going to be presented inside the rhymes, even if it is still quote unquote mumble rap, perhaps the lyrics might change. But until then, until you're willing to shut up, sit down, listen to these young people, sit down and have a conversation with them, you're doing more damage than you're doing good. Yeah. I've seen that on, uh, I, I say this before we move on. Uh, you have you watched the Get Down yet? I watched a little bit of it, man. I got to get back into it, man. Man, it was beautiful. I think it was Ezekiel was one of the main characters, mm -hmm. and he writes most of the raps and most of the lyrics. But you see the life of the youth through his words, right? right. And that's exactly what's happening because everybody. This is back when you know disco was coming out, right. and his girlfriend's obviously into it, and she's a church girl. Exactly. So now, I remember all that. So everybody yeah. was like, no, 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 you don't, no, you don't do this. Right. No, no, that's that's wrong. And he was like, but you don't understand. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, that that bridge is is being disintegrated, and nobody wants to. Mm -hmm. So like, okay, I hear that. That's noise to me. Right. So right. I'm gonna leave that alone. Right. But there's a child over here saying, I, that's noise to me because nobody wants to. Help me understand the uh, correlation between what was good in your time to what's good in mine. How music evolved, so nobody wants to meet each other right. in the middle. And that's that 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 uh, that series is a perfect example mm -hmm. because these kids, uh, I think it was a uh, what's his name, because his mentor was uh, Funkmaster. No, no, Grandmaster Flash. Mm -hmm. That was his mentor, and that's what, exactly what they were doing. They was taking these records. Just scratch yeah. the mess out of them, and then okay, well, so what's the what's the get down? Hey, so I'll let me show you. I never knew what that was, mm -hmm. how that came about. He said the get down is between this and that. All you got to do is just continue that same space. It's taking the loop. Yes, yes. Where the beat, where the the song itself, the get down is like the break part. Mm -hmm. They call it the break beat. Yeah. And you just loop that sucker because that's where everybody wish would play over and over again. But it's like a it's like a ten second if that yeah. little part, and you got to catch that bad one, loop that sucker until you can't until you tired. <laughs> so seeing that, that's I think that's the uh, modern way, and I believe that Netflix is, is and not just uh, Netflix but cinema in right. general are exposing us to something back then because mm -hmm. it is relevant yeah. to what is now. What is now? Well, yeah. I mean, I got three kids, man. You know what I'm saying. And my kids listen to what's out there today. Mm -hmm. My daughter, she loves 98.3, and they play all kind of music. And we ride down the street. As the, but this is what I do. When a song comes on, and it's a lyric on there that I'm like, I get suspect about the lyric, right? I'm <laughs> like, whoa, whoa. They, I don't sit there and be like, oh, no, click. You can't listen to that. Mm -hmm. What does this mean? Now, there's some things i got to cut off because the language just gets a little bit too much. Yeah. The descriptions in it is just too much. But I sit down and I try my best to say, well, what does that mean? What is that talking about? Do you know? Well, this is what it means. And when they, they're like, oh, my, that's what that means? Oh, my, oh my goodness. But, uh, <laughs> but when we approach it as in we're just going to shut it off. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
let's be 100. I remember, I did, I did now, you grew up more so on a don't listen to that. Yeah. Can't listen to that in this house. Wasn't too much of that in my home because we just enjoyed music, period. <laughs> but in my home, me and my wife, we try our best to allow education to take center stage yeah. um, about what's going on, what's occurring, rather than silence. Mm-hmm. Don't go down there. That dark alley don't go there. Them boys don't, you know, there's education in the who, what, when, where, and why. We're not those. We try not to be those because I said so, parents. Mm-hmm. All right? Because I have to understand with those three, their curiosity is going to lead them wherever they want to go anyways. Yeah. My objective as the parent is to give education to it. And it's the same thing with hip-hop. Curiosity leads us to create. Your objective as one who has already been someone who's created and still creates your objective now to the young ones that are creating is to simply give information to hopefully help guide them, train a child in the way that he should go, and he shall not depart from it. So we're complaining about the very thing we refuse to help guide. We refuse to help train because we did not like what they made, and we rebelled against our own offsprings, and then we expect them to respect us? Get out. And that's um, and I give mad props to my mom for that because mm-hmm. I remember, um, and I promise I'm gonna try to move on because we can talk all day. Yeah. Uh, my mom didn't know what I was going through because I was a very I was a huge introvert, mm-hmm. but she didn't know anything about my life unless she read it. Mm-hmm. And she came across a poem that was literally got me in trouble at school. <laughs> But she would have never knew mm-hmm. that I experienced that unless she got exposed to it herself. Mm-hmm. So at that time, at that moment, she had every right to say, you would never write again. And it, it got to the point where it was, it was, a, it was a real racing poem. Like, it was, man, it was bad. Understood. Understood. And she, uh, she asked me to read it to her out loud. And I couldn't get past the uh, first three lines. And I thought that was, that was it. Mm-hmm. But... She never told me to saw right. Right. And like you said, she was willing to meet me where I was at mm-hmm. as a child. Because right she knew if she didn't, then that disconnect would happen. And then the communication would be severed oh, and yeah. she would never know. Very true. Uh, but speaking on basically everything you just said, mm-hmm. what influenced you to, like, how did you get into a spoken word? Oh, wow. about? So I've always been, um, I started, um, actually diving in. let's start it has to start with hip hop if yeah. we're gonna dive if we're gonna segue into that. So I got of course hip hop, that's what I'm birthed from. Mm-hmm. Um everything about me is hip hop. I'm more of a hip hop artist than a spoken word artist. Yeah. Um I I I'm known as a spoken word artist, but I'm honestly a hip hop artist. I'm gonna interject right quick, uh coffee and ink. Mm-hmm. Bruh. <laughs> Bro, like I, I'm dead serious. I was listening to that album like twice on my way mm-hmm. to Atlanta to see my sister. Mm-hmm. And dude, I'm driving because where I'm at in my relationship, mm-hmm. like that, that I, I cried. Like I, like I, I literally cried on my way to Atlanta mm-hmm. because I never knew that you could talk about marriage in hip hop. Like I've heard it over mm-hmm. the last ten years, yeah. but before that, I didn't know that that could coexist. Oh yeah, um, well, hip hop is life. Yeah. And if you can't, uh, we we get so, hip hop is so masculine. Yeah. But it's like that hard masculine. Mm -hmm. It's a hard masculinity that um, I got to go out there and kill the, kill the, like you ever seen that movie 10,000 BC? It's a horrible movie. 
Anyway, it's a horrible movie. It's yeah. about these hunter-gatherers that go out there and kill the big mammoth to be the leader. Like, that's hip-hop. I'm going to go out there and risk my life against this big giant beast to, be, to, 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 to carry the white spear. You can kiss my behind, all right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> There's other animals around. But, um, but the reality is, if you can't talk about every aspect of it, then you, you boxed in hip-hop. Yeah. You boxed in hip-hop. So talking about my wife, that was the prevalent thing at the time because we was in a happy, the most happiest place we've ever been to in a while in our marriage. Mm -hmm. And we spent probably the first 10 years struggling in our marriage. So you make it out of that wilderness, you, you spend 10 days in a wilderness in your marriage and you come out. Um, if you can't write about that, then hang hip hop up. Yeah. Hang your art up. If you can't pin something that celebrates that, but you know, you listen to it, you see where it was a, you had to follow it. Mm -hmm. um, some people chose to skip it, but if you follow it, you see the, the, the evolution of a relationship, the tidbits that are even spoken in there, they're all built into an evolution. Um, of what the relationship's supposed to be. And so Coffee and Ink is a representation of who she is to me. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's to give that light, give that hope um, to individuals when they do listen to it. Marriage works. I'm an advocate for that. I'm a strong advocate that marriage does work. Um, it is work, but it works. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what it's like to be 36 and single. Cause I'm not 36 and single. Mm -hmm. I don't. I, I I ain't been single since high school. That's when we met. You know, so I started dating her with my 12th grade year in high school, mm -hmm. and it's just been me and her ever since. So every serious stage that I've gone through in my life, you know, besides of course my father leaving and all that other stuff, but anything after that, man, from getting out of the gang culture, getting out of the streets of Augusta to going into the church, to trying to figure out my calling and all this other stuff, man, and losing faith. losing. She's been with me through everything. We've grown up together. We're all we know. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what it's like to hop. I don't know what it's like to have relationships with other people. I know longevity. So I made a Facebook post and I said, don't come to me asking for relationship advice and you want your relationships to be sprints. I'm here mm -hmm. to teach marathon runners. Yeah. I'm here to teach people that want longevity in their relationships, that's willing to go to distance. If you want to be a sprinter, then go talk to somebody who's a pimp. Don't come talk to me. Yeah. But um, speaking on, what was the question? The spoken word. I got the spoken word. You good, baby. Um, so I got the spoken word. I was a part of a couple of groups. One was called Live Life. Mm -hmm. um, and I started off in the church with hip-hop. Um, I actually started off doing gospel hip-hop now, meaning that going out there actually really making a face for myself because um, yeah. that's where I was. But, of course, I was rapping with my homeboys and we was talking about, you know what I'm saying, the streets and all that other good stuff, you know what I'm saying. Yo, we go get you, sucker. But anyways, um, but through the salvation of Jesus Christ, um, <laughs> if I was to really start pinning a point to where I really started taking art seriously, mm -hmm. rap seriously, it was that time where I was part of a, a Christian rap group. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up, that didn't, um, we kind of went on separate ways, and I ended up being part of the actual band called Anointed by Christ. ABC is what we called ourselves. Nice. Um, yeah, it was real dope rocking with them, too, man. We did some really crazy things, man. We did some stuff that had churches like, we will not invite them brothers back. <laughs> we did. I mean, we was, like, really way over there. And I and at first, I used to get mad about that, man. Well, get your 
up church cuz but then I had to think about it I get it you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. your pastor's 90 years old I understand yeah and you know so I say that jokingly but we I think we need to get into the habit of understanding that not everybody's ready for your revolutionary idea I mean Kurt Franklin caught a lot of flack for when he first came out with God's property yeah BBNCC wine as you thought they was talking about love between a man and a woman but they was talking about love Jesus Christ you know, so I wonder how many babies was made on some of their songs. But anyway, but that didn't, we went our separate ways, just grew up, and we went our own separate ways, you know what I'm saying, we matured, and I was left with nothing. I mean, I had no material. I had nothing, man, and um, I, I didn't want to get back into it, and then there's some other stuff, man. I had an opportunity to actually sit down with some A&Rs from Sony, mm-hmm. but my marriage was crumbling. And I had to save it, and I told my I had to do what was right for my home. And then my homeboy was like, man, we finally got that work, huh? I can't do it. He was like, uh, bruh, do you not hear what I'm saying? I was like, I can't do it. He's like, why? I said, well, I got to make, I got to take care of home. And he respected me. So I was honestly left with nothing. But it wasn't until Christina Prophet, shout out to Christina Prophet, she hit me up. And my brother, who actually helped me through the process too, my little brother, and he was like, um, Christina Prophet said, yo, you need, you should go um, to um, the Speak Your Peace thing at Payne College. Mm-hmm. Brother Trav is doing this thing called Speak Your Peace. I don't know who Brother Trav was at the time. And so I went um, and I spit. I had one rhyme. I had one rhyme, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you I had one rhyme. So I ended up um, spitting that one um, rhyme like a spoken word piece. It was, man. Because, I, I mean, I got into poetry. Um, like Edgar Allan Poe. Like people, they mm-hmm. mention all these black artists or black poets and stuff like that. I'm not going to lie. And I'm not saying they're lying, but Edgar Allan Poe was the first um, person that I could actually really think of and know of and actually held on to for the most part when it came to poetry. Yeah. As a drunk, lonely, depressed white man, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but but um, the reality is, because I didn't do a lot of reading, I didn't care for reading. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, depression, depressive poems by Poe made sense but anyways and the book of revelation was my favorite book in the bible at the time because of the descriptiveness about it and instructions yeah. and all that other stuff anyway i'm a troubled kid but um <laughs> so i went there when i did that that rhyme with no beat no nothing travis like yo man um i heard about you through a homegirl by uh, called jericho mm-hmm. um it's great to finally see you um you want to come out to feature at arthur egos for me one night. It's my first time ever seeing this dude. And he went on ahead and threw it. I credit that to God. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, and when I finally told my little brother, it was funny, yo, man, I'm finna jump back out there, man. He was like, look, if you go back out there and put your hand on this plow and you let it go, my brother said it just like that. He said, you better not ever come back. Mm. Um, so I got in the spoken word off of spitting one rhyme at a speak your piece then ended up going to Alter Egos. I didn't do no poetry still. It was a band. I had no material. I had nothing. And I freestyled my whole set. And then I finally went home and was like, okay, let me try this poetry thing out. And I started <laughs> writing poems. Um, and from that day forward, the man you see today is who I am. Mm. And that's how I came to be sleepy eyes. You know, that's, that's, that's how I birthed. Yeah, because I was... I, you've you've done countless pieces uh, mm-hmm. locally, um, and it's just your. It's funny how you said how your 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 heart is literally shaped differently than mm-hmm. most people. But mm-hmm. I see your heart in your work, mm-hmm. and 
which is another reason why it makes you unique. Right, right. Um, I've uh, I didn't get exposed to spoken word until um, their poetry. Uh-huh. And like, I, mean, I started collecting DVDs, and I'm like, man, one day, at that point in my life, I was like, one day I want to be up there. Mm-hmm. And um, there were pieces where I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. And then there was song that was just, just heavy, mm-hmm. just heavy. And the the power of, of words, right, right. you know, that's just, it always moved me. But speaking of passion and concerning um, words and your, your, your raw energy, what... Cause I see that you're really heavily into into activism, okay. and not only that, you're very knowledgeable. Knowledgeable of it, because a lot of people look at it as just fluff. Like let mm-hmm. me let me get on the bandwagon. Like no, um, let's really dive dive into this because this is a this is a problem. Right, right. And not only that, because all of this, when you're looking from the outside, like that don't have nothing to do with me. Yes, it does. Right, right. And you're one of the people, along with my sister, who reminded me, like, if we're going to do something, let's do something um, credible because it, ha- it has a lot to do with you. So my, my, it was my sister that actually influenced me to vote uh, when Obama first got elected. Mm. And the first time, I'm not going to lie, I know, like a lot of us did, I voted for him because he was black. And but the second time I started paying attention to what because there was some things Obama did I didn't agree with. Oh no, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, what 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 got you? into that and have you always been that way <laughs> um it's funny that you bring up activism um i i'm kind of torn with accepting that yeah and let me tell you why um there's some real activists out there man mm-hmm. and when i look at the definition of an activist it's somebody that is not jumping from one subject to the other mm-hmm. um i think we think what we tend to do is we take montage movies movies and the montage scenes of the movies that show um, the civil rights movement or something like Selma yeah um, remember the Titans I know but it's still a black and white concept in that uh, we take uh, Malcolm X mm-hmm. and we see the montage and we apply that montage to today and we think that's how it works. Um, activism is being very, very consistent in grassroots work that feels like at sometimes it produces absolutely nothing, but you're still willing to do it because you love your community so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so using the word activist, if we was to say it in the light of me being willing to speak up and speak out, indeed. Yeah. Me willing to cater my poems to certain things that go on, um, indeed. Um, but I think sometimes we also see activism as strictly on a level of um, the oppression of my people. Therefore, I have to go out there and fight the, 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 the government. Or you could be an activist for marriage. I'm an activist for marriage. Marriage works. That's a campaign of mine. Marriage does work. Mm-hmm. I'm an activist for um, for family. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the things that I'm an activist about. Those things I speak about. I'm an activist for the arts. Um, those are the things that I'm very passionate. I mentor a few poets um, from the city. Some poets actually consider me to be mentors for others before I even thought I was. Yeah. Um, so. 
it's it's also a burden that most people don't want. The problem that we have with these pseudo lullaby Negroes mm -hmm. is that they lust for that title. No prophet ever wanted to be a prophet. I can't I can't imagine. You know, it's like ministers who run after to be ministers. Do you really know what you're asking for? Yeah. I ran from ministry, bro. So it's hard for me to accept the word <clears throat> or that title because I'm just now recently, for the last probably about two years or so, mm -hmm. two, three years, accepting my role in God's vineyard as a minister. You don't have to have nobody give you a backwards collar and throw oil on your forehead and all that other stuff. I, I mean, can I, can I really dig into something real quick for you? Yeah. So we want to talk about activism, man. Most people run from the calling. Martin Luther King didn't want to be. They picked that man. I'm pretty sure Malcolm X didn't wake up, come out of prison, and he said, I wanted to be the face of Islam. Yeah. Do we really know what we're asking for? I'm pretty sure Shada Shakur didn't ask for what she went through. She knew it was coming. So we asked to be activists, but we're not activists in the sense that we're willing to bleed, hurt, cry, and lose. And if somebody says they are, check their background record, man, on being an activist. They're lying. Ain't no blood on the concrete from half of us, man. It's only a few of us that's bleeding. It's only a few of us willing to ride. Nobody's talking about police brutality like they were. We're talking about H&M and little kids in hoodies. <laughs> we're just being real. Yeah. It's like we're dogs chasing bones, dry bones. Here, boy, go fetch. Here, boy, go fetch. Here, boy, go fetch. Here, boy, go fetch. And we run after everything that's dangling in front of our faces because any man that does not have a center about himself and knows who he is and knows how to maneuver in this society or any society he lives in will chase after anything that looks disrespectful to him. And anybody that answers, like your mama said, it's not what they call you, it's what you answer to. So obviously you must be the monkey that they've had on, written on that shirt because you keep answering to it. Silence is the best weapon to kill anything, bruh. Because they never see you coming. I posted on Facebook, I said the problem with a bandwagon, the problem with a bandwagon is you can hear it coming. The problem with a bandwagon is when it starts to need repair, nobody's there to actually help fix it because ain't nobody got nothing to put on it. The problem with a bandwagon is when it's time to put gas in the car, nobody's got $5, $5 on the petrol. Nobody's chipping in. We just yelling and screaming. So forgive me, but when I think of activism, I think of activism as somebody who's willing to be consistent in a specific arena, no matter what it will cost them. Yeah. Um, and this one lady. Um, so Jacob, at one point in time, um, what's his name? The prodigal son was like my story at one point in time. I can relate strongly to the prodigal son in the Bible. If there are listeners and not familiar with that, it's in the book of Luke. Um, and I'm talking about the son. Both sons were prodigals, but we often focus on the son that wanted to leave home. Yeah. I can relate. But now I found myself knowing Jacob's story to be my own. Jacob was a runner. And Jacob fooled a lot of people, bro. I've been a runner and I fooled a lot of people, cuz. Um, I had a lady, I was years ago, I was working at Gracewood, mm -hmm. delivering on the food truck to the various little housing units, right? Yeah. Walk past this lady, how you doing? She said, how you doing? I just keep moving. That's it. She said that reading the Bible. Um, she stopped me one day. She said, son, put your hands up. 
being obedient to the elder, I put my hands up. Now, this was when, you know, I'm in the, I've gotten baptized mm-hmm. in the body of Christ, saved and sanctified, all of those stuff. Me and my wife married, work trying to provide. Yeah. Put your hands up, baby. So I put my hands up. <clears throat> she said, these are music hands. These are blessed hands. You're supposed to be speaking to the people. You need to get busy. You're supposed to be speaking to the people. Kind of dismissed. Years down the line, I end up working where I'm at now. Um, and this one lady um, comes up to me, totally different lady. Now, mind you, that first lady, I never saw her again after that day. Mm. All right. So this other lady comes up to me. She said, honey, I need to tell you, these are blessed hands. You're supposed to be speaking to the people. You need to get busy. You're supposed to be speaking to the people. These are blessed hands. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I've been, I've been running ever since. So it's hard for me to take that word and not look at it and ask myself, can I really hold that? Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I respect you for seeing that in me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes other people to see it in you for it to be pulled out of you. Because oftentimes we can't look in the mirror and see what we're blessed to do and what our purpose is in life. Yeah. Um, so I've finally accepted that I'm, my job is to guide, my job is to teach, my job is to educate, but my job is also to tear down and say the things that nobody else wants to say. Yeah. And I'm going to say the things that nobody else wants to say. I'm going to hurt feelings. I, I'm, I'm not going to be nice all the time with my words. I'm going to try my best to be respectful to the soul, but I'm going to be very disrespectful to the condition. And we have to get to the point to where before we holler activists, we have to check our record. Yeah. I mean, send forensic out, see if they can find some blood droppings. <laughs> um, man, dang, three minutes. Um, I'm a, dang. Well, I ask you this because usually people come in here because of the time of it and stuff like that, but you recently um, celebrated your marriage anniversary 16 years man uh, congratulations thank you, by the thank, way. You, thank you thank you um, I wanted to ask you this before go ahead. I let you go Understood. if there's anything can I, and that's one thing I, that's one thing I appreciate about you as a man you mm-hmm. you are an advocate for marriage because right now nowadays they're easy way out right right and it's, it's, it's easy to say this isn't working so I'm gonna let it go or let's continue to make this work for the sake of the kids but not mm-hmm. not us trying to grow together mm-hmm. so um if there's any advice that you have for people that are courting mm-hmm. towards marriage and people that are freshly married, what are some things that you would, would tell them? Um, rose-colored glasses, um, when they finally come off, mm-hmm. the reality of marriage kicks in. Um, I will say this. It's going to be work. Yeah. If you want your marriage to work, number one, you have to make it... Some people don't agree with me when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyways, because this is what got me through my marriage. So, yeah. all right, you have to be willing to make your spouse more important than your problems. Yeah. You have to be willing to make your spouse's problems more important than your problems. Um, so often when we see marriages crumble, it's because you're making the marriage about you and not about her. Yeah. Or she's making the marriage about her and not about the male. You know, um, we often quote the scripture, love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
You got love at the top, your neighbor, yourself. There's three components there. Jesus never taught love in the sense where it was only strictly about the individual. It was always taught in the sense of individuals, people collectively together. Yeah. So that scripture doesn't say love yourself as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Um, also, you got to be able to forgive and actually forget as best as possible. You know, some people say, well, I'm going to always remember. That's true, but it shouldn't be to the point to where you're bringing it up every five seconds. <laughs> yeah. um, but forgiveness, treating their problems like they're more important than your problems will ever be. Um, and people don't understand this. My wife is, is, is very precious to me. And people, I caught a lot of flack when I said this. I'm willing to give up this artistry for her. If this artistry gets to the point to where it's affecting my marriage... This artistry will die before my marriage dies. I promise you that, bro. Um, and if a man can't be content with something like that, and you're willing to put her at the back burner of your, of your so-called destiny and purpose, then it ain't purpose. If what you're doing does not include that woman that you have vowed your life to, the purpose is off course. And you need to stop what you're doing and get it back on course. Um, there's going to be things that your spouse does that you're just not going to like. And guess what? It ain't going nowhere. You're not going to change it. You're not going to get rid of it. It's going to always be there. We made it to 16 years of marriage because we both decided to be happy. Yeah. Happiness is a decision. Things, cars, iPads, all that stuff doesn't, 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 there's no interaction in the way that it's supposed to be for that. It's not good for man to be alone. He wasn't talking about sex toys. It's not good for man to be alone. He wasn't talking about the iPad. It's not good. He wasn't talking about a car. It's not good for, he wasn't talking about getting a dog. Those things existed as far as the animals. They was there. So there was a plenty of companions running around if you wanted that. Yeah. It's not good for man to be alone. So I'm going to make him a help me. <clears throat> she is there to help you as well as you are there to help her. And again, if what your ambitions is does not include her or him, then that ambition is not right. And I stand by that 100%. Anybody got a problem with what I just said? They, you can and take that check to the bank and when you divorce, holler at your boy. Because mine is going to be in tech. My wife and my family will come before any of this. It has to, bro. Yeah. It has to. It doesn't mean I can't function or anything. Without her, I made a vow. And that's one thing we don't take seriously is our vows, bro. Till death do his part. Sickness and in health. Richer or for poor. People are taking those things out of their wedding vows. Yeah. Oh, what are you going for, man? <laughs> it's the difference between sprinters and marathons. People go into marriage thinking that marriage should always be right. But this is relationship issues with people, period. I want a relationship where there's no drama. You don't want a relationship then. There's going to be drama. There's going to be heartache. There's going to be pain. Forgiveness is the key. And to everybody else out there, I say this, especially to my man, don't take the long way home. Go straight home. Stop taking the long ways home. If you got problems at home, go home and deal with it. Um, like I said, my, we, 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 I came from a home that's divorced. The minute me and my wife got married, I think a day or so after, 
I don't know, about a week. I don't know, but it was a really close time frame. She got a call from her dad saying that her, her, her dad and her mom was getting a divorce. This is after we got married. Now, people would take that as omens. Oh, my goodness, it's not going to work between us. Um, and we, we, we thought we was going to fall into that same category of getting divorced. Mm-hmm. A couple of our uncles, they didn't make it in their marriages. They call it the Curtis curse. <laughs> um, we are, we, but we decided to be happy. We decided not to give up. Constantly talk, constantly conversate, constantly have conversations. Put that spouse first, man. It's, not, it's no longer about you. It's about the whole. You can't make it, and even if you're going to make it, quote unquote, about you, it has to be about you with the whole in mind. Period. There's no such thing as an island when it comes to a marriage. And if it is, yeah, that that certificate of divorce is going to come. But marriage is beautiful. It works. It takes work. But it's a beautiful thing. We made it to 16 years because... We decided not just to make it to 16 years. We decided to be happy together. Takes two. Mm-hmm. And if one person is not willing to actually be happy in the marriage, then it's not going to work. It's not. It takes two. Both of you guys have to make that decision to be happy. And it has to be real, genuine happiness. It honestly does. And keep your business at home. I can't stress yeah. that enough. Don't talk to people that don't have your best interests in heart. Don't talk to individuals that's been single 9,000 years out of their life and you're trying to get marriage advices from these jive turkeys. Don't talk to individuals who've been divorced 55 times. Mm. I'm sorry. People are like, well, you can still get something from them. I'd rather get something from somebody that's successful. Who talks to a broke man about the stock market? That's true. You want a successful marriage, you surround yourself with what makes a successful marriage. And watch this. Last thing, and I'm going to end on this. Take everything I just said, divide it by two, and multiply it by zero. You get what? Zero, right? Mm -hmm. Why do I say that? Because your marriage is your marriage. And you need to treat it as such. The Bible says, dwell with your wife according to knowledge. My wife, not yours. We generalize each other, right? Males act like this, women act like that, right? Mm-hmm. That's an individual. So how about don't approach it on a generalization? Well, I know females are like this, so I'm approach. No, I don't know you. I would like to get to know you. Let's start there. My name is, and boom, that's it. And you build from there. Um, but just have fun. Enjoy it. Some people, they always get the doom and glooms. Have fun. Really enjoy your marriage. Enjoy each other. And um, I'm a, I'm, this is just me. And this is how I speak. Have sex in your marriage. In your marriage. Have sex in your marriage. There's people, man, married people don't have sex, man. That's yeah. sad. Have sex in your marriage. In your marriage, go into that bedroom and get it on. And I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> well, thank you, man. I uh, really appreciate your time as always. No problem. Um, Again, this is uh, episode 20 of The Glory in Our Stories. You just got uh, the privilege of hearing just just a, just a speck of uh, Sleepy Oz's experience. So uh, continue to tune in when you can. Again, Sleepy Oz, I really appreciate it, man. No, it's no problem. Thank you for having me, Ben. Uh, I, can't, I can't explain enough. I've come, a lot around, I've come across some men in my life whom I, of just a few that I've actually admired. Like this, this necklace that I'm wearing the wife of um, 
his wife gave me this mm-hmm. maybe two years after he passed. He passed away from lung cancer. But while he was dying, he was giving me advice. Mm-hmm. And short guy, maybe like right here. Mm-hmm. But I felt so small around him because everything he was telling me was just just truth. Mm-hmm. And he funny thing he said that, that stuck out the most to me, he said, make sure you put yourself in a position where you can take care of your wife and your children. That's it. And he lived just that. That's real talk. So uh, I really appreciate it, man. Um, you guys, uh, please, please check this fella out uh, when he's performing. Uh, you will not be disappointed. Uh, again, thank you, man. And again, this is episode 20 of The Glory in Our Stories.